Hello, podcast fans and enthusiasts. We're here with your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hello, Mom. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. I've been enjoying our talks. This has been great. You bet. I, In fact, uh, one of the things that I wanted to us to continue talking about was, well, a conversation that began before we started recording right now. And that's a little bit about uh, emotional intelligence. I'm yeah. curious what your thoughts are about that. Well, I was, I mean, we were brought, I mean, I'm older because I'm your mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were brought up in our generation not to do that. We were told to, you know, put on a happy face, even if you're not feeling good and all of those things. So we, and, and teachers especially were told, you know, don't, don't share those things. But now with everything with COVID and whatever, if we can show that we're strong and that we've learned from some of our mistakes and that we have our good times and our bad times, it helps kids be able to open up too. It's strange how the biggest the biggest obstacle to learning can be being trapped in your own fear. Wow. That's wow, that is so true. I we've even talked about that. The the fear of failure, but if we don't take some risks, we'll never know we can do it. And wow, we can <laughs> Yeah. We're going to go on and on for yeah. a long time. Well, let, let's find a way to segue because this sounds like this is also really valuable, uh, valuable topic in the upcoming conversation. So why don't you tell me a little bit, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what we're about to listen to? Well, I, it is such a um, gift to have this talk with Joshua Friedman. He's the founder of sixseconds.org. And that's where it's all about emotional intelligence. And and I'm learning so much just from being part of some of the conversations that they have. But I learned so much from, from the conversation I just had with him. I was going to, the funny thing, and I just love Joshua. He's just amazing. We were going to, I put in all these amazing things that I wanted him to talk about instead he went through three stories and we talked about the stories. It was such, it, it was as if like, you know, I say, I'm talking with someone on my porch. It actually really feels like it. So I cannot wait for people to listen to our conversation. Well, everybody stay tuned and listen to the porch side conversation with Joshua Friedman and Barbara Bray. <laughs> Well, I've been wanting to talk to this amazing person for several years, I think, <laughs> now. And I feel so lucky to have amazing, amazing Joshua Friedman here. Thank you for being here with me. Oh, thank you, Barbara. I will attempt to be amazing. <laughs> oh, well, I keep, I was telling uh, Josh earlier, I was looking at his bio and going through everything, and I was saying, oh my gosh, I, I could talk to you all day long. We're going to have, <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to just have a conversation with you about some of the things we talked to already, uh, you know, about. So first thing I want to do is just introduce you to my audience. So Joshua Friedman is a specialist on emotional intelligence and author. 
and the chief executive officer of Six Seconds, a nonprofit dedicated to emotional intelligence, EQ. (laughs) He has helped co-develop EQ assessments and published a number of books. How many? Five? Six? Five. Five? I've read some. They're good. And your articles on that topic also. And you create and have been creating an international network of consultants and coaches. Oh my goodness. There's so much more about you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I get embarrassed when people read my bio, so (laughs) stop there. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. This is about you and your story, but it's also, we have a whole bunch of reasons why we wanted to talk. It's the world is changing. Everything's happening now. And we need to talk about emotional intelligence and social emotional learning. I was going to ask you about your background, and then we're going to get into some deep things on social emotional learning, but you'll probably lead to a few of those things when you tell tell me about your background and overview of some things that you've done. Well, you know, when you're traveling and you have to fill in the little form and it asks you to fill in what your job is, <laughs> I always have a really hard time with that form. And I still usually write educator. Uh, ah. I think that's, I know, that's how I see myself. Um, and my understanding of what it meant to be an educator, there was a moment that that really changed. I'd been teaching for a few years. I started teaching uh, at a really amazing school called Nueva. I was in the middle school as a teacher and an administrator. And I was also an advisor. And I was feeling pretty overwhelmed. And I had several students whose parents were divorcing and a whole bunch of papers I hadn't graded and, you know, just the usual stuff. And I went to the executive director, whose name is Annabelle Jensen. And I said, Annabelle, I think I might, I think I might be feeling depressed. Oh. What I was expecting is, you know, what somebody's supposed to say when you do that, Barbara. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, don't worry, right? <laughs> You're fine. Uh, oh. Annabelle said, interesting. Tell me more. What's, what, what are some of the reasons you might be depressed? And so I told her about the students and the overload and the da-da-da-da-da. And then she shocked me because she looked at me and she said, you know, I think if I had all that going on, I might be depressed too. Oh, wow. Maybe, maybe you should just let yourself be depressed for a few days. That's pretty, that's <laughs> pretty amazing because... I know Annabelle, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I walked out of her office going, okay, great. I, this is good. I I'm depressed. Okay. I can be depressed. Wow. Now, Barbara, that was 30 some years ago. And I still vividly remember it, which I think tells you something about the salience for me. What happened from that is I just started to experiment with what happens if I treat my students that way? Huh. What happens if I treat myself that way? What happens if I just, you know, uh, and you know how middle schoolers are, it's always a roller coaster. And instead of saying, oh, don't worry, get off the roller coaster, what if I just say, wow, that's challenging, tell me more. And I was not a believer in emotional intelligence. I didn't, you know, social emotional learning wasn't a thing I I thought I was interested in. I wanted to teach humanities and I thought that that was separate. Mm. And what I discovered is that when I started to see myself as a human being in the room with other human beings, 
and that we had a relationship first. And that relationship is what we built learning upon. I became a really good teacher. And before that, I was an okay teacher. But it it just changed my understanding what it means to be an educator. And so now when I write educator on that customs form, that's the story that comes back to me. Well, I just, I love that story because one, I've actually done some work at Nueva a long time ago, which is <laughs> great. You don't live that far from me. So it's kind of nice. I know some of the stories and that's an amazing school, by the way. But even as amazing schools, we don't always start with relationships. So I was just reading an article by Maurice Elias, who's you know one of the sort of fathers fathers of social emotional learning, and Mo quoted Ed Duncanblau, mm. who wrote that teachers are often confused because they think social and emotional learning is adding something to the plate, but in reality, it is the plate. Oh, I love that. <sighs> That's and, the title of this. <laughs> <laughs> it is the plate, right? It's the plate. I, think, I ah. think that that is where, if we think about why am I here? What is this school for? What are we doing together? Not two kids, not two parents, not two teachers, but what are we doing together? Quickly, we quickly realize that the relational context is what makes learning work or not work. And that once we accept that truth, we then realize my job as an educator isn't curriculum. It isn't programs. It isn't tests. It isn't schedules. My job as an educator is relationship. And back in those days at Nueva, there was this amazing math guru. And she was teaching this very specialized how to think about mathematics. But what she used to say is, we teach children, not subjects. I've heard that many times and used that. <laughs> Did it come from? I don't know. Whoever this person is? <laughs> I don't uh, know. Uh, but it's just, it's one of those things that really shifted my understanding because I was really passionate about my subject, mm-hmm. realizing that That's not really what it's about. And then we get to the neuroscience and we look at like Mary Helen Imordino Yang and her work on on cognitive neuroscience and affective neuroscience and actually how the brain learns. And what we know now, you can watch a brain almost in real time learning. And what you see is that the, the brain areas that drive learning, the brain areas where learning actually occurs are in the social brain. And uh, Imordino Yang says, you know, it, we didn't have a part of our brain dedicated to calculus thousands of years ago. It just, we didn't evolve that. So when we decided, oh, I should learn calculus, we had to find a brain area to use. And we use the same brain areas that we use for communicating with each other about our relationships, about our trust, about our, our sense of safety and belonging. That's the brain area that's actually being used for academic learning. Hmm. And so it's not that these kind of social-emotional conditions enhance or diminish learning. Literally, at a neurobiological level, that's where learning either happens or doesn't happen. I'm, you know, while you're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking about what's going on now with the, you know, with this pandemic and with kids for, was it 18 months now? Some of them have been working 
isolated and working online and not having those social, the social contacts and the relationships the same as they did before. What happens to them then? Well, I, I mean, I, I have some hesitation around the term learning loss. Me too. <laughs> right? Because it's yeah. kind of like, oh, let's stuff this stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, I have a niece who didn't start kindergarten. And now she's starting kindergarten 18 months later. Yeah. And I know that, you know, in that time when you're in kindergarten, that's when you learn how to play together. That's when you learn how to learn. That's when you learn how to go to school. That's when you learn so much self-regulation. And that's going to affect her for years. And UNICEF's research on this says that this this year of diminished learning um, will cost $10 billion to the economy in the next decade. But if it's the whole world that's had learning loss, I mean, Mm -hmm. we've kind of put our lives on hold. Can we give us a break and say maybe then we we look yeah. at some of the things we need to do for these kids instead of uh, forcing them to to stuff in you know the standards and all the tests right. and all of those things. So when they they're not ready and yeah, no, the learning loss I'm more concerned about is the birthday parties, the mm-hmm. play dates, the social. Yeah, and losing your sports game and figuring out how to deal with that and, you know, working together and figuring out how to play on the playground. And, like, to me, that's actually the more problematic um, Hmm. stuff that is more connected with the developmental window. So, you know, you're you're making my brain go. We were going to go in a whole... (laughs) We were going to talk about a whole bunch of other things. But um, what I'm wondering now is how, with all the work you're doing around... EQ and and um, the coaching and the I'm just wondering now how we can take advantage of this time mm. to help teachers, help parents, help communities look yeah. at the power of building back these social relationships and contexts and all the things that we all need to yeah. learn. So I think some educators and kind of educational influencers and policymakers are under an impression that we're going to reopen schools and this is all going to go away. You know, and what I would say is the first thing is we've got to confront reality that that's not true. That there's a level of trauma, there's a level of isolation and stress and disconnection that's going to affect our school communities for many years. And that if we're not actively working on that now, it's time to start working on it. Yes. We know from research on Hurricane Katrina that it was actually several years after the hurricane that the peak of mental health issues arose for people who were survivors of that incident. And we've also seen the same in post-traumatic stress disorder for combat veterans, for example. And so, well, I know for most of us, the trauma of these last 18 months isn't that intense. It's real. Mm-hmm. The number of emergency room visits for mental health causes for, I, I think it was like 15 to 22 year olds, something like that, went up 31% last year. Oh, really? 
The oh. number of educators who are talking about resigning has increased mm-hmm. by 33%. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- this is real. There's real trauma. Mm-hmm. And so my first thing is like, let's not kid ourselves and say, all of this is just going to go away because we reopen school. We've it's like got they to talk do the about work. going back to normal. You, mm. In fact, there is no normal. I mean, that even a new normal, we, what we have to look at when you're talking about these numbers, these are mm. real people. Mm. And we have classes where they don't know who's going to be teaching because they're burning out. Teachers are yeah. burning out and they're, and they're traumatized because they're not sure how safe it is. I mean, there's a lot of issues going on. Yeah. And I think we're all pretty exhausted. Mm-hmm. I, I, for myself, I liken it to when your cell phone is getting older <laughs> and I'm not saying we're getting older, Barbara, but <laughs> you know, oh, when, yeah, but that's okay. We're experienced. When, <laughs> when, your, when your cell phone's getting older and you charge it up and it says hundred percent, Mm-hmm. But then after an hour, it's down to 50%. <laughs> I think that's kind oh. of the state for a lot of us right now. Our, our energy level, we're not, many people aren't sleeping well. Mm-hmm. The stress, even in the families. And then there's other things that are happening at home. And then they bring that to class. And so we know there's a lot going on. And I know the reason why I wanted to talk to you about EQ and, and SEL and is because this is so important right now. Well, let's just do some vocabulary. Um, EQ stands for emotional quotient. Oh, quotient. It, I said the wrong thing. No, it's great. Uh, yeah. We use it for emotional intelligence, just like we say IQ, you know, people talk mm-hmm. about IQ is intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. So technically IQ is intelligence quotient. EQ is emotional quotient. Yeah. So it's really the measure and we can measure it. And we have an emotional quotient score. We have normed validated tools for kids and adults where we get those scores. Just like IQ is made up of a bunch of component parts, EQ is made up of a bunch of component parts. Hmm. And then SEL, social emotional learning, are the processes that we use to practice and develop our EQ skills in service of a great place to learn. Give me an example, because I actually took the survey. I did, but I, I'm just wondering for my audience, if I want them to come in and take the test, I want them to see, you know, the, the measure where mm. they are right now. If let's just say if someone came in and is there an example of a question or an example of what they get from it? Because I, mm. I think, I think some people are afraid to know. They're afraid to do this on, I mean, they know they're stressed out, but they, there's, they have to be strong. You know how educators Mm. are. They, they, they have, they can't be vulnerable in front of their kids, but they should Mm. be right. So we use, we have a number of different reports from the assessment that we actually have a free one available, which is a very basic report we call the unlocking EQ profile. And it doesn't have any bad news. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it just tells you something about how you're currently using your emotional intelligence and how that's serving you in terms of your quality of life, your relationships, your effectiveness, and your well-being. And we know that those four outcomes, there's a strong positive correlation between emotional intelligence scores and those outcomes. And so if 
you know, you look at the things we've been talking about earlier about disconnections related to relationships, you know, stress and burnouts related to well-being, uh, feeling kind of lost and emptiness in life related to quality of life, feeling unable to accomplish this, the things we need to accomplish, effectiveness. So we know that we have these learnable, measurable, scientifically grounded skills. We can measure this for kids. We can measure this for adults. And we know that those skills are correlated with those outcomes that are exactly the issues that we're, we're grappling with in schools and in businesses and in communities and in families today. So for me, it's not, I mean, I'm interested in kind of overall EQ scores. And as a researcher, I'm sorry to tell you that EQ scores declined quite a bit globally, over 129 countries, um, particularly skills like empathy and what we call navigating emotions, which are you know, about using our emotions intentionally. Those across 129 countries declined. But at an individual level, I don't really care what your score is. Yeah. It's, just care, it's, it's about you. So it doesn't, right? Well, what I care about is how you use that. Mm-hmm. It's the information you, you want to learn from it. And, and how these different parts of your emotional intelligence are coming into service for you, for your goals. So we have three parts in the model, and this free unlocking EQ profile just tells you which of those three parts is the highest and which is the lowest. Mm. And so that just gives you a way of saying, okay, well, so I might be using this part of my emotional intelligence, and maybe I'm not using this other part. And what would happen if I got these three parts more into balance? You said something, though. You said how empathy went down. Mm-hmm. Boy, we need empathy now. I mm-hmm. mean, that's the one thing I was hoping didn't go down. You know what I mean? I was hoping that people would learn to listen and care and yeah. understand what people are going through. And So I was yeah. talking to a friend of mine early in the pandemic who works in um, counterterrorism online. Really? And, oh, wow. And I said to him, well, this situation, surely this will reduce extremism because we're all, all kind of trying to work together. And he said, unfortunately, historically, crises increase extremism. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Afghanistan right now and what's going mm. on. Yeah. Yeah. So... And we can look at the, you know, the political landscape in lots and lots and lots of countries, including the U.S., and we can see that extremism. I think that at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people were saying, oh, well, we're all in the same boat. And then I can see you shaking your head. Other people said, no, 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 no. I'm in a big yacht. (laughs) Some people are in a little raft, right? With holes in it. (laughs) With holes, right? Yeah. Maybe we're all in the same storm. Yeah. Yeah. So the metaphor that I would use instead is to say crisis shines a bright light. And this bright light is revealing some things that are wonderful about our relationships and our communities and our networks and our support systems. And this bright light is also revealing some things that are tragic. And inequities. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of exposing a lot. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, I mean, I am loving our talk, by the way. <laughs> Likewise. It's completely different than what I said I was going to talk about. But, um, but, I, but I really feel that um, this, the idea of knowing why we're feeling the way we are, 
Mm. because I didn't understand what was going on with me. Mm. I was afraid. I was kind of procrastinating. I was Mm. hesitating to even call people or talk to people. Well, I guess I was a little depressed (laughs) because Mm. I haven't, at one point I hadn't seen my family for 16 months. If that's going on with me, I know what's going on with a lot of people and, or they lost a, you know, lost someone they love, a loved one through COVID or, or through other ways and couldn't even be there. I mean, there's so many things and so many factors where emotions, we need to know what, how to handle some of the things or know what to say or do, or. So I think a lot of us have developed coping mechanisms that involve ignoring feelings or pushing Mm -hmm. them away or covering them over being strong, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then in a situation like we've been in, we realize, wow, my coping mechanisms aren't serving me. And my story about telling um, Annabelle that I thought I was feeling depressed, that's what that was. My coping mechanisms weren't strong enough for this kind of tide of emotional challenge that I was facing. And that pushed me to say, okay, instead of using these kind of inadequate coping mechanisms that are sort of socially popular, what if I actually learned to deal with emotions? And, and for me, that required, well, I didn't like to ask people how they were feeling. And you know what? That's kind of what mm. I do. So how are you feeling today? How are you doing? And they're like, well, okay. you really want me to tell you? you know? <laughs> so yeah, what would you, so how do you do that? What do you do? Well, I was, af- I didn't, I was afraid of asking them because what if they told me? That's just what I was telling you. Like, now what do I do? You know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I like what Annabelle said to you. That was really <clears throat> a great, yeah. it's a good story. Yeah. And it's actually, <laughs> this is the thing though, is it's actually really simple. And it requires letting go of the idea that I'm supposed to fix you. Mm-hmm. And that if you tell me how I'm feeling, now I'm responsible for that. Annabelle didn't say like, oh, well, let me take care of you. Uh-huh. She yeah. said, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And so you're feeling that. You're feeling that feeling. Sounds like maybe that's what you need to feel right now. That is actually beautiful. I know someone I need to say that to. <laughs> and probably a few people because I hear stories and I'm a fixer. Mm, and I'm tra- I'm learning not to be a fixer anymore because if I can model what I'm doing and then be there to listen, yeah, that's tough though. That's so tough I had a really cool experience when my son, who's now twenty, was like two years old, and he was going through a um, "I want mommy" phase, and. Um, you know, go away, daddy. <laughs> and he woke up from a nap one day, kind of fussing. And so I went in to try to comfort him. And he said, go away, daddy. I want mama. Oh. And yeah, my first reaction was I was hurt and irritated by that. And so I said something like, well, she's not here. I'm here. <laughs> and you can guess how well that worked. <laughs> so two year old, not very well. No. So the tears came and you know then subsided. And I remembered a friend of mine, his mother was in a nursing home for dementia. And he had told me this story about how in this nursing home they were using this incredibly um, powerful method of emotional validation. 
And that whatever a patient would say, they would just validate it. They would not argue. They would not be logical. They would not try to convince the person. And so I'm like, oh, desperate. I'll try it. <laughs> right. And so, you know, Max is like, I, I want mama, not you. And I'm like, yeah, you really want your mother, don't you? Yeah, I want mama. Yeah, it sounds like you really miss her. Yeah, I miss her. You really wish she was here. Yeah, I wish she was here. And what you can hear is like, as I'm validating his experience, his emotional energy started to subside. Because you heard him. You were really listening. He felt yeah. heard. Yeah. And wow. I mean, I know this is like, this should, this is not rocket science, but for me, as somebody who's like, no, let's just be rational about it. <laughs> it was a it was a huge moment for me. Wow. It probably brought you and Max closer. Yes. And actually what yeah. ended up happening was I was, you know, sitting on his bed holding him by the time, you know, we finished this, you know, one of those little toddler beds. And then I said to him, um, oh yeah, I, I wish mom were here with us. She could snuggle with us. And he looks at me and goes, this bed's too small for three of us. <laughs> That's a pretty smart kid, by the way, at two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful story. But it's really, um, I look back and wish I had thought of those things with my own kids. You know, it's a great way to, I, I'm doing a lot on listening. Mm. And I, because I, the reason why I wanted to do podcasts is to get the stories, but also to learn how to listen and really mm. pull out the stories. I'm getting better. Yeah. <laughs> I still have a long way to go, but what happens is some people tell me these beautiful stories like them with sitting with their two-year-old and learning how to listen. I just know it's beautiful. Well, I think it's, it's like when you're in conversation with somebody, you can feel whether they're present and you can feel that, that what you're saying matters. And so sitting here talking to you, I'm like reaching into this story, reaching into this experience and feeling it because I feel safe enough to share this with you. And I've kind of forgotten that there's this little blinking light and that we're recording this. Like, this is just, you know, a, I'm sharing this with you because we've built trust and safety mm-hmm. in relationship. And this is a perfect example. Like from that, we're able to do this work that we're trying to do. And without that, we would not have a very interesting podcast. <laughs> well, I, I've i told everyone, it's like I, you're just sitting on the porch with me right now and we're just talking. <laughs> but, but I, you know, and you and I have talked a few times before. So I, you know, we've built this relationship, but... You told me three stories you've never told me before. And so I I feel honored with that. And it's it's really nice because one, I love the resources you have. I love the conferences you put on and I've participated. I haven't done the clubhouse as much as I'd like to do. <laughs> you keep saying, come on in, come on in. But um, I'm constantly learning from you and all the coaches. I've met so many amazing, amazing people that have told me stories. Um, Narrative Four with the story mm-hmm. exchange and some of the 
people that are coaches with you have shared. It's just beautiful because all of us have stories. And that's the thing that I'm trying to show teachers right now is if you can just open up to build that culture by having people feel safe enough to tell the story, Mm. even if it's trauma, even if it's what's been happening and then being able to, because teachers, not they don't know what to say. Right. So one of the things that I found really interesting in my fear of asking people about feelings and, you know, once I realized, okay, I don't necessarily need to fix it. I still have had times where I'm facilitating or I'm coaching and, you know, big stuff comes up. And so I will tell you my, um, my advanced technique, which is, you know, doesn't work on zoom, but (laughs) going for a walk. Ah, but how do you do that in school? When class is over, you say to a kid or a colleague, Hey, let's Mm -hmm. just go for a little walk. Well, let's just walk around the building. Or you say to your kids, let's let's go walk around the playground together and get in pairs and, and walk and talk. Oh. And there is something about walking. There's just like the physiology of moving and moving forward. Uh, and you're literally standing shoulder to shoulder with somebody. And I find when I'm stuck... Uh, I've invited somebody to go for a walk and somehow things unfold and become clear. And so if you're ever with me, you know, in a course or something in person and I say, Hey, you know, maybe let's go for a walk. You'll know. I'm like, Oh shoot. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I like that though. I mean, well, you're not too far from me. As long as you, you know, like you live in San- Santa Cruz. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we could yeah. go for a walk on the beach. We could go for a walk on the beach. Or, and then <laughs> I'm up here in Oakland. As long as you're safe, you know, no fires. Yeah. Gosh, this is such a crazy yeah. time. But, and that's another thing that people are worried about is just all these, you know, there's a hurricane that just happened, Ida, yeah. that just happened where people had, you know, probably been there with Katrina. So, I mean, the trauma, like yeah. you just said. So, all of these things, I want people to know about your resources. And mm. uh, we talked about the test, uh, you know, that they could take if, and the, uh, some of the other and the coaching. But there, I don't know if you're doing another conference like you did. Was it last year? Yeah. So we, we haven't quite decided on our 2022 schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, our current project right now is something we do every year in this time of year, which is called Pop-Up Festival. And it's in partnership with UNICEF World Children's Day. So World Children's Day is the day that the United Nations signed the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And it's the most signed human rights legislation in the history of the world. And so it's that's amazing. And there's been great progress in the last 31 years. And at the same time, we all know, sadly, that there are children whose basic rights are not protected. What that tells me is legislation isn't enough. And it leads me to wonder, okay, well, what what else do we need? We have this very strong law. We have enforcement. We have people, you know, chasing down predators, but it's not enough. What else do we need? And I think 
to really have a world where children's rights were flourishing everywhere, we would need people who were able to talk to kids and understand kids, people who were able to build community and build relationship, people who were had the vocabulary and the awareness to talk about feelings. And so Pop-Up Festival is the world's largest social-emotional learning program, and it's entirely free. There's free curriculum and free training, and it's used in 200 countries and territories, and it's all play-based, creative activities that you can do with basically for free. There's some really simple materials, and it's, you know, people are using it on a little atoll in the middle of the Pacific at a game preserve in the middle of the jungle, uh, in big cities, in small towns, at kitchen tables, in classrooms, in, in big businesses, uh, churches, synagogues, mosques. It's a set of activities that are all around emotions and how we make decisions and how we use those in a more purposeful way. And this is, now we come to the Barbara connection. Yeah. <laughs> Because as you look at the sustainable development goals and you say, well, those are aspirations for us. Those are a way of expressing a more purposeful way of engaging in the world. What is it that kids and adults need to develop internally? What are the internal resources that are going to help us create that kind of change in the world? And, you know, for example, having equity or having a healthy climate or having everybody in the world have food. You know what? We have enough money. We have enough food today that there could be no starvation. Wow. And yet it's not happening. Well, why not? Mm -hmm. Well, equity (laughs) is one. (laughs) It's a human problem. It's a human problem. It is. So we need human skills. And so Pop-Up Festival is a way for us to celebrate and also start opening up the conversation. And it's not you know, it's not a complete social-emotional learning methodology. It's a festival. And it's a way of engaging kids and adults and saying, hey, let's start talking more about emotions. And it's fun. Is it going all the time or is it specific dates or? So it culminates on World Children's Day, which is November 20th. But people use it all year long. All right. There are something like, in English, there's something like 70 activities in the library. And it's in 36 languages, different activities. Not all of them have been translated, but you can search by age range or by group size or online or in person or by the sustainable development goals. And so if you're interested in climate, you know, or you're interested in equity or gender equity, you can choose activities that are related to that. And a lot of them are the same activities that we do in our corporate trainings. And so you can do it with a group of adults, or you can do it with little kids. Or my favorite, in um, Turkmenistan, the um, United Nations in Turkmenistan has a group of youth ambassadors for the Sustainable Development Goals. And they had these young people um, went and did pop-up festival with younger kids. Uh, what I mean, how old were those kids? Were they like teenagers? Yeah. So um. teenagers were holding the pop-up festival for oh. five, six, seven-year-olds. This is so good. I did put it out there, but I'm I'm going to put it out there again and again and again. And, and and now that you said this, it's going to be on the blog post and with links so people can. I mean, they have to do it. It's just so. It, you know, they always say, "How am I going to do SEL?" Like you said, add it to my plate, but mm. SEL is the plate. 
well, the pop-up festival is like, like, what is it? You know, the, the, the main course (laughs) or something. It's, um, I would say it's like, um, you know, sometimes when you go to a nice meal and they bring you a little taster, an amuse-bouche at the beginning. <laughs> so Papa Festival is an amuse-bouche. It makes you go, ooh, I want more of this. Oh, I like, you, you keep coming <laughs> up with these cute things. Oh, I wish I could talk to you forever. This is so cool. I Well, there's so much that I'm going to be putting on the post because I want people to be able to con you know be able to contact you so we'll put some contact information but do you want to tell my audience what's the best way to reach you? So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and so if you want to get in touch with me personally that's a great way. Our website is sixseconds.org and um it's the numeral six and we also have six seconds websites in Spanish and Chinese and Japanese and Italian and Arabic and I don't know what else, but uh, (laughs) we have resources in a lot of different languages. And I think the most important thing that I I want people to know is that this practice of emotional intelligence, it's something that's practical for all of us. And it's not so easy to do by yourself. And so at Six Seconds, our focus is really building community and building community of people who are wanting to support each other in this work. Our our vision is a billion people practicing emotional intelligence. And to practice emotional intelligence means to tune in to emotions and make more intentional choices and you know respond instead of react and then to step forward on purpose. That's how you practice. When you practice with other people, it's easier and they support you. And so pop-up festival is a way to practice and engage people and practicing together. But we have people all over the world. And Barbara, thank you for saying that the coaches you've worked with and Six Seconds practitioners all around the world mm-hmm. are, are sharing this and practicing it ourselves. And I'm practicing it myself. And we want, we want to enlarge the party. And the more of us that can get together and engage and support each other, the more this kind of change can work. Uh, it's a change that starts on the inside. And as we as we do this and we do this together, we we find more and more strength with our emotions and more and more connection with within ourselves. And that connection within ourselves then helps us connect with our students, with our colleagues, with our friends, with families, uh, with administration, and and really build a sense of alignment in moving forward. And I think that, you know, as we think about purpose and your work on knowing your why, when you can feel that sense of purpose, you can feel that you're not alone in that, it's transformational. You know, (laughs) what you just, everything you just said was so, everything I feel, but you just put it so beautifully and the idea of building this uh, community and then spreading this feeling. I mean, it's, it's like love. I mean, really, because if you love yourself and there's people are going through such so much trauma, they don't even know why they would love themselves. So we gotta, mm. we gotta do this now. <laughs> I want to hug you right now. <laughs> Virtual hugs. <laughs> Virtual hugs. <laughs> oh, Josh, this was just, just just wonderful 
I, I, I said right in the beginning when I, before I started recording everyone is that I don't know where we're going to go. Let's just go and look how wonderful it was. So I, I really, really appreciate you so much. Well, Barbara, thank you. And I, I just, I don't want to end without saying, I just love how generous you are. I see you on Twitter, you know, appreciating people and thanking people and acknowledging and listening. And you, you know, you can see the effect of that, that warmth and that kind of emotional generosity. Um, it certainly has affected me and I'm grateful. So thank oh, you. Well, that, that, that means a lot to me because I know all the work you've done. So I want people to know, and I call you Josh, <laughs> right? It's Josh Friedman and your work at Six Seconds and all the things you're doing. I, I And the pop-up festival, we're definitely going to get that out there so people participate. I, I know that teachers and kids will love it. And thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Thank you, Barbara. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Joshua Friedman. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with this podcast because it includes the show notes with links, pictures, and so much more about Joshua and Six Seconds and the Pop-Up Festival. And like I said, there's a lot there. So please subscribe to my Rethinking Learning podcast. It would be awesome if you wrote a review. Also, I hope you subscribe to my website at barbabray.net so you can receive updates and more amazing podcasts. Thanks again for listening and keep sharing your story. And please stay safe and be well.